You are listening to the Venture Scale SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they built their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Daniel Melkerson, founder of PinMe2. Happy to have you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. Let's dive right in. What problem does PinMe2 solve for its customers? Okay, so our customers are what we call multi-location enterprise companies. So it's everything from like Volvo, uh, H&M, Starbucks, companies with a lot of places around the world or in, in the market that they need to handle their online presence for. And when I say online presence is that, okay, we have these locations. Can people really find our locations? Do we have the right opening hours? Do we have the right opening hours over vacation time? Uh, do we uh, do we do we really have control over our, our our reputation management for all our locations around the world? Do we answer to reviews? Do we answer to questions coming in from all the major search maps and social media platforms to our locations? So in general, what we do is we try to help uh, large multi-location enterprises. Uh, with locations uh, to drive their people to their business location in general. For that, we built a platform. Uh, on that platform, we have different tools. The basic one is listing, is business listing to make sure you're in, in Google, the Google business profiles for Google search, you're on Apple Maps, you're in all the in-car navigation systems, you have the uh, right kind of location structure setups in the different meta uh, platforms like Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. So that, that's the starting point. Then we have other products for, you know, a, a better product for social media management when you're a multi-location business. And a better uh, uh, product for uh, um, review management and conversation management, the conversational commerce, if you're a multi-location business. So all of our customers are enterprises, bigger companies, with a lot of locations where they do business in some way. Got it. I would love to... Go back to the beginning. So you, you started the company in 2013, so roughly yep. roughly 10 years ago. Yeah. How did you actually stumble upon uh, that problem? Uh, we did not. It was me. I, I started my first company while, when I was 14 and now I'm 47. So I always employed myself. And uh, I had two friends that were de developers. I had an agency for a while where they went in and did a few as you said, it's hard to find developers. So I found my friends and they did things on, on the side of their business. And then we said, well, we should do something. And I want to build a SaaS company because SaaS was, you know, start, you start, we started talking about SaaS in 2013, but no one really ex actually know. It was a recurring revenue kind of business uh, back then. And I also wanted to raise money. I wanted to do the, the whole, uh, you know, building a company with other people's money, of course, my own as well and my time. But I always built company before this you know, on my own or with my money or lending some money. But I want to see how the, the venture capital world works. So that was a decision from the beginning. But then, which is probably completely idiotic, we didn't have an idea whatsoever on what to do. Uh, <laughs> But we said, okay, we would probably have the right team to build something. Yeah. And it's going to be recurring revenue and it's going to be B2B because that's what I know. Uh, and I, I view B2C more like a needle in the haystack kind of uh, thing if it's going to work or not. B2B, you can, you can count on everything and, you know, make. 
And then we started, this is going to be, I'm going to try to make it slow, uh, shorter than a... Take uh, your time. <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. So then, then we actually, I had a company before this where we did a lot of things for the tourism industry, for like uh, tourism authorities. For example, we work with Thailand Tourism Authority. They have locations. They have around, I think, 200 or 300,000 locations that they want to promote for people to visit Thailand. Could be anything from hotels to places you should go when you're in Thailand and so on. So we had an idea that we should build on, on all of these pages for the, the like more uh, municipality-owned kind of organizations that are owned by, by the state or the uh, regions. Very often had great SEO because they have so much text on everything and so on. So they were ranked very high. But when you ended up on them, it was really boring because it was just text, 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 text. So we had an idea. We should build a widget that they can put on all these uh, authorities' web pages where we pull data from Facebook, Instagram, TripAdvisor, Google, and so on. So you can check in in this little widget as a private person. You can see where your friends had logged, you know, checked in. It was a big thing back then that you checked in wherever you went. Uh, and also see what photos people have taken uh, and so on out of those location that the um, tourist authority had in their database. We correlated the data from their database with places on different social media and search networks and found more private kind of information because you don't decide where you want to travel out of reading, you know, in a brochure. You actually ask friends. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's what we built and it, and it worked well, except from uh, we had a hard time finding really, we find the locations on the platform. So we, if Thailand Tourism Authority had like 300,000 locations, maybe we found only 50,000 of them on, on Facebook or on Google and so on. And only maybe a few thousand had good information actually to pick up for us to use. So we said someone should build something that just tells these big platforms uh, what the correct information about the locations are. And also... They need the ones that own the location or Google should know how to set this up in their system. So other, you know, uh, tech companies like ours or others that want to use the data can achieve, can have the data because in a good way because that will help their business grow. So that's kind of and we we went to this Dragon's Den thing in Sweden and we got like the biggest investment in Dragon's Den history in Sweden on this widget idea. <laughs> Uh, and then we said, okay, this will take time because we're selling to government-run uh, yeah. institution, and in the sales process, it takes forever sometimes. And we were our idea was to raise money and grow fast. But okay, we need to do something else. We need to not to be business to to government, business to business, act real business to business. So okay, but let's build this thing that helps these large search maps and uh, social media platforms to have the right information about location in the world. And then we started thinking, okay, who, where can we make money out of this? Who, who are willing to pay us for this, actually? And then the idea was that, like, if you're a brand with a lot of locations, it would benefit you to have the right information on this. You should, this should be something that will affect your business a lot. And then we reach out to uh, some, I think it was fitness chains. Uh, we reach out to some retailers and so on. Say, hey, can we try this? hypothesis on you and then we started doing things manually and sending things so it was google plus back then it was then google <laughs> places and 
Facebook didn't have a location structure as they have today and so on. So we, we didn't, and then we figured out a few ways to automate it and said, okay, let's do this instead and sell, sell directly to large enterprise multi-location chain. And that we kind of pivoted into in 20 and end of 2014, beginning of 2015 and had our first customers on board in the end of 2015. That's what we've been doing and growing from since. Interesting. So basically two years to quote unquote fight product yeah. market fit and, and play yeah. around. And then, then you took it from there. Yeah. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. Get a 14 day risk-free trial and a transparent price of $95 per hour. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. Coming to present day, I hope, I hope the data I, I stalked here is correct. So you have like in total more than 700 customers, more than 500 large, large customers, I think over 5 million ARR and over 90 employees. Mm. Yes. How? So first off, I hope that's correct. <laughs> it, 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 we, uh, yeah, it, it's a few months ago, so we're higher oh, on okay. everyone. So that's okay. great. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's, it's more or less correct. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, what I find super interesting is that you go after big customers and after like an enterprise sales motion with like basically doing outbound sales. Yeah. Because at least nowadays, like PLG is all the rage. Nobody yeah. should talk to your user. It's like come in, self-serve and so on. I know. Why did, so first off, why did you make the decision to go the outbound route? Yeah. Uh, we didn't make that decision. Uh, it was just how we started. And also I think that's the behavior in our business. If I look at our competitors, we have a big competitor, for example, in the U.S. named Gek. Uh, there's a few others that are similar. There's not that many competitors in our space because it's really, really hard to, to build what we have built and you need to work a lot with different really big tech companies. So it's, it's not as easy to, as to build like an e-signing tool and so on where you own everything yourself. Here you need to cooperate with Google, Facebook, but uh, why we are sales-led, number one, and this is my theory around the B2B SaaS in general, if you have enterprise uh, customers uh, from day one, and that's what you're selling at, you should start sales-led if you're not selling products to developers uh, very early on. Uh, uh, if you sell something to a product, Person, they want to go in and find this little tool part that they will buy and use to build, you know, a small part in it. And then they will tell the team, okay, I found this with this company. And you build kind of a stack of things that the developers can come in and pick and choose and you grow by that. Uh, but what we do is that we sell, we sell a problem to marketing people and they're usually a marketing team because they were a little bit bigger. And then you need to do some kind of educational sales because the buyer is not really educated on the problem. Now they become a little bit more educated, but I think in the beginning of every story, so to say, every time VC starts running in a direction, now it's AI, of course, uh, yeah. you need to educate the buyer. If you're an early on startup in something new uh, and you want to raise money, you're always in something new because VC money always runs for the new thing, uh, which probably is right. Uh, and, and then you need to understand that you need to educate users. And if you yep. want to sell to a team, 
you need to do, you need to have meetings, you need to have education, and then you need someone that educates the buyer. And that is sales. There's a faster way to do it through sales than try to do it with marketing effort. So it's Make sure to me, it was for, just for the fun. Oh, sorry. It's just a faster way to get started. And then we, we've been sales-led the whole time, and now we're more like product-assisted. Uh, we have inbounds, of course. We do a lot of these things, but we're still very 90% this 90% of all these, even for, uh, higher than that, I'd say 95 is closed off the meeting. And then for the founders listening, what do you need to charge a contract per year so that you can actually go sales? Because of course, if you have like a, a $10 a month too, there's no way you can afford sales. So no, 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 do you, no, no, like, no. How, how do you think about like, how much should you charge per year so that yep. you can even yep. afford yep. to properly do sales? Yeah, at? I know we're in the bottom of this. <laughs> actually, you, you should be able to charge even more than us. What saves us is that we have l really long lifetime on our so it's always a combination of the lifetime you, for the customer and it's, yeah. you, you cannot calculate that in the beginning because you don't have the data. So you need to make some guesswork here and got feeling on it in the beginning. Then you can, of course, go down to in, in the monthly. What we have today is a, a thousand euros uh, uh, on average. Then we have a lot more and, and a few a little bit smaller, of course. But if you're usually what they say, you, you should be around at least like uh, around uh, 10,000 euros or even, I would say, 2,000, uh, 20,000 euros a year, actually, if, if you even want to look at it. Uh, and if, you, if you're selling something very product-led, like Slack, Slack is the best example, where one user and then the whole team starts using it, uh, then, then, then you can't have a sales team in the beginning, but you will most probably have to have it later on. When you try to sell, you know, Slack to the big companies and not just to teams in the big companies to, you know, move away from whatever solution you have from Microsoft or SAP or any other big. Yeah. And then how do you, how did you hire your first sales rep? Because in the end, I guess you did sales yourself in the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. how did you make that switch to founder-led sales to having the first one or two people in the sales team? Uh, it, it it was step by step. It was we. I think we were lucky. We found one. He's oh, he's already he's still on board. Actually, our first uh, salesperson that we hired, and then that was I think he's been with us for almost I think eight years this year. And uh, you need to find someone that is really, really you know you, you can you can throw the ball to him and he catches it. And you see that this person actually has a huge interest in the technology has a huge interest in, uh, you know, has great sales skills, are able to cut the corners, you know, in a meeting that, that okay, I can say this, I'm not 100% sure that product will be okay with it, <laughs> but I will say it anyway. And, you know, really push the sales in a direction that kind of forces the rest of the company as well to follow, uh, which I did as well. So uh, you need to work very closely to this first person or first three persons. So they got a feeling of what is it we really try to solve in the world here. And, and you're, maybe you're just around market fit when you hire this one. Uh, and then also need for them to understand we're still exploring here. Well, we need to do this together. So, yeah. yeah. And then jumping to today, how, so first of how many salespeople do you have right now? Uh, we have hundred, uh, I think we're a hundred employees. Uh, we are out of those, I think 35 is in sales. God, that's 
quite quite a so that's quite a quite a big chunk and then so mm. basically like a third of the company and then how yeah. is that is that structured i mean there's like all kinds of structures of like yep. pot structure the the assembly line like how did you structure your 35 percent sales team we don't do the pod structure at all uh we moved in the other direction so we have sdrs booking meetings uh they only they their only goal is to book meetings with the right customers of of course like sales qualified bookings we have uh, you know and okay these are the companies we want you to approach and nothing else of course that's just basics but they book the meetings and then we have sales managers that takes over and has the meetings uh, and closes the deal and then they hand over to onboarding in cs and then go back to new sales again so they don't stick around in the customer uh, uh in the customer success organization once the onboarding is done we have an upsell organization that kind of takes over the the upselling of new product or you know adding new locations new markets new brands within that customer's portfolio yeah. and then so so those 35 uh, employees are like split in between sdrs aes and then the upsell organization correct yes yes and most Understood. of them are sdrs and quota carrying new sales first so we are, that would be my next question like how how is the actual split like uh, like roughly between uh, those two uh, we, three we know that we are a little bit heavy on the sales managers uh and that we need to have more sdrs uh at the ratio i like uh that, that you should have is two two sdrs on one sales manager interesting for us uh it's very different of course from different what you do uh, in some businesses you you work more in a pod the one sdr one sales manager you kind of cooperate but it depends on how we do it for example we have a few sales managers that works in in certain verticals or certain markets that books their own meetings and also you know close their own deals because maybe the vertical and the the market isn't big enough to have an sdr and this person actually likes to work this way so we're not super anal in how we work but uh, most of our, our organization is built around sdrs and and quota carrying states i i mean i i'm not not the biggest sales expert but i never heard of a company who actually has like a, a specific yeah basically like a upselling organization so how i think my first question is like Why aren't the sales managers also the 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 people who who upsell them? Yeah, and this is my my very 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 hard belief that you should never do that because it's why? so much more nice and comfortable and 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 great to sit around and sell to someone you already know uh, and do the upselling parts, and you tend to forget about the. Uh, the new sales because it's so much harder so that this is my firm belief that uh, the key account managers usually is the word i guess old school wise when you have a key account you keep selling to it and uh, in SaaS, you don't have to resell it uh, not if you're like us we have an evergreen contract so you don't have to resell in the end of the year and the update contract and so on so upsells to us is just cross-selling new products on the platform or Uh, doing the expansion sales as well you know expand if we have a customer that different brands and we always sold to the first brand they do the expansion sales well in the and the expansion into new markets and sometimes that falls back into new sales because it's more like new sales things but 
they are uh, responsible for these things as well. That it gets done. Yeah, so how how did you structure that team? I, I would love to double click on that because I think that's like yeah. quite a unique thing. So yeah, I, yeah. I would love to learn more. Yeah, so they they are their own team with their own goals and and KPIs, and they they are measured on cross sale mostly. Like okay. We have this um, first product, you buy the platform, you buy our core product, which is the listing product. It's a business listing. So uh, you have everything listed on different networks. All your location is in Google business profiles and so on. And then we have other products for social media handling, reputation management, uh, customer service. So they go in and sell these products to the customer because new sales uh, can, of course, sell all the products. But we really don't want them to sell all the products because it's much easier for us to sell the other products once the customer is onboarded in the platform and really understands the values of the other product. It's much easier for us to, to char even charge more because they know that they understand the value. Now they learn the problem really they work and already in pin and so on. So we're trying to have new sales focus on the core product that is like opening the doors to the upsell department that, that cross-sell all the other products. So uh, I don't know if that's an answer on how we organize, but they are still managed by the, the CRO and the, the head of sales. It's, it's not completely owned, but they are working in their own team with their own targets and with their own, uh, own SDRs and, and, and sales representatives. Interesting. So they are basically in a way, a full-fledged sales force, yeah. but just like focused on upselling and cross-selling. Only that. And they are they are also sitting somewhere in between CS and new sales, you know, because they need to work very close to customer success because they know the story. So they are, yeah. they are working in our customer, more in our customer success CRM than they do in our sales CRM. Interesting. So that's, where they, that's where they know what to say in a sales meeting. That's where the story is. That's where all the old emails between customer success managers and so on is. That's where we track the user and the customer. So that's also where I think upsell should be focused to do their job the best possible way. So we actually built like uh, uh, simulated the pipe we have in our sales tool, which is Pipedrive. Uh, in PlanHat, which is our CS tool, that we built kind of the same kind of steps, you know, meeting book, both send, da da da, and so on. So they follow the same procedure as sales do, but in the customer success system. Interesting. That's <laughs> that, that really sounds like quite a cool structure. And how long do you do it for? Like over a year? Or when did when did you yeah, start the team? A little bit over a year now. Uh, last year was the first year we really, really started doing uh, up sales. Before that, it was more like opportunity-wise from customer advisors in the CS team also did quote, which they still do sometimes, but they mostly they hand it over to a salesperson in, in up sales uh, to close the deal. But we've done it a little bit over a year. Uh, and we saw, especially last year when we started it, we it was really good because we haven't done it, you know, on the customer base. Now it's more like an ongoing process. And what we see now, it's more like, okay, I will do this uh, in upsell. I'm the salesman. I'll take this one. Uh, or, or maybe this one is actually in Finland. I don't speak Finnish. Let's put it over back to the sales organization in Finland for them to close the upsell. But it's still the upsell team that orchestrates when it goes, a deal goes to the rest of the sales team. Yeah, but very collaborative between the, let's say, new sales team, the CS team, and the 
the up, uh, upsell team? Uh, absolutely, because the upsell, the person doing upsells needs to have the story. So, yes, yeah. definitely. And sometimes this also goes back to to sales for different reasons, language or whatever it is. That's amazing. I would love to hit on one more one more small topic before we wrap yeah, up. Sure. In 2021, you moved from CEO to board member. Yeah. Why did you make the decision? I think it's super interesting yeah, um, okay. to hear yeah. that. I made that decision a long time before I actually transferred because uh, I know myself. I'm 47, so and I've been, this is, I guess, in my 12th company or something. I am very good in small teams. Um, I know I'm really good when it comes to being creative, you know, you know forming something and going one direction. I am uh, not as good with employees, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, handling bigger parts of employees, scaling an organization with a lot of employees. That's not my skill. I'm not a finance guy at all. I, I understand, of course, finance, but I'm, I'm, I'm not interested in it. As long as the number goes in my direction that I want, I'm happy. The rest can <laughs> leave to someone else. So the decision was made very early on, but it was also, this was like, I don't think this story hardly ever happened. So I met this in 20, this is a long time, 2017, end of 2017. I had a few beers with an old friend that I grew up with, who is really a numbers guy. Uh... You, you've been in Sweden. He went to Handels in Stockholm, which is the you know business school of Sweden. And he and we haven't seen each other in fifteen years. And he was just wrapping up. Uh, 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 he built a factory. He was CEO for building a factory. <laughs> so and he was wrapping that product up and wanted to do something. And he was like, I also want to build a tech company. Can I be? And I have some money. I I got some money from this. So he invested. And then he, he moved out after like six months because he, he had six months he needed to stay at this factory and moved in as uh, head of the board, uh, chairman of the board in Finme2. And then, oh, this is fun. So he was like the CFO and I was the CEO. But we already started talking very early on. You will be more fit to be a scale-up uh, CEO than me. So... Then and then we are say okay now now it's the time before that we kind of did it together and we do that all now as well. It's just that he likes numbers, I don't. So so it's better now because it's in, you know scale up. It's all about numbers in and 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 you're scaling what works. And I'm more like the guys that want to invent new things, which is not the best thing in a scale. Actually, you shouldn't invent <laughs> at all. You just scale what it. So yeah, that's the story, I guess. Yep. That's that's amazing, Daniel. Well, it was a pleasure to to have you on, and thanks for sharing all of that. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node, with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry, delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit EarlyNode.com to subscribe.